Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Law podcast. And I think there's a great intersection that we really need to focus on. First of all, again, let's talk about our Judeo-Christian faith heritage. There are some people that say it doesn't exist. I think it does exist when you look at the foundations of the United States of America. And really, the Judeo-Christian faith heritage, which talks about the empowerment of the individual, because in the Bible it talks about how you're more than a conqueror, and it really stresses salvation. It's not a collective thing. It's an individual thing. Well, that's really what our free market economic system is all about, elevating the, the individual. And when you think about how our inalienable rights endowed to us by the Creator God, our life, our liberty, our pursuit of happiness, that's what has set this country, unlike any other country that the world has ever known, is the ability with the individual to go out and pursue their dreams, to, to go out and start businesses and things of that nature, not to have to go and submit paperwork and say, Mother, may I? Big government, can I please? Which is what you see in more of the restrictive socialist uh, environments. And when you talk about socialism, always understand that's an economic model an economic model that's based upon wealth redistribution. It's an economic model that's based upon nationalizing economic production, creating and expanding a welfare nanny state, dependency society, what I call it. It talks about social egalitarianism. No one can really be an exception. We're all supposed to be the same. So you really are encouraged to have big dreams and big ideas because you got to stay in the barrel with the crabs. And I remember when my mother taught me about the whole thing about crabs in the barrel. When the crab tries to get up, the other crabs bring it down. That's not what we want. And the other thing about the socialist economic model is secular humanism. So there is that intersection between our Christian faith and our free market economic system. And so I could not think of anyone better to have coming here and talk to us, and that's Dr. Dave Arnott. He is a professor of management who teaches economics at Dallas Baptist University, and I love their nickname, the Patriots. <laughs> he has authored four books on the topics of leadership, management, and economics. His Ph.D. is from the University of Texas at Arlington. He is an accomplished keynote speaker who has visited over 55 nations and led business study visits to many of those countries. He is as entertaining and winsome in the classroom as he is with a group of executives. He has led more than 200 days of management seminars. Dr. Dave is a retired marathoner. I never got the chance to run the full marathon, only a half marathon, who once rode his bicycle across the United States of America. I did a motorcycle ride across the United States of America. I don't know if I could pedal across America. The professor and Ginger live on an 11-acre ranchette south of Dallas where they board horses and entertain their seven grandchildren. I just got the one grandchild. I don't know if I'm catching up to Dr. Dave. Dr. Dave, welcome to the Steadfast and Law Podcast. Thank you, Colonel. It's a pleasure to be with you. You know, your background is so interesting, and we just 
off camera came to understand that we share a little thing in common because, you know, I was stationed in Kansas, yeah. met and married my wife in Kansas, and you uh, played basketball. That's right. I'm from the heartland. I grew up in South Dakota and yes. went to college in Kansas and Illinois, uh, moved to Texas uh, 45 years ago, and mm-hmm. I've been in Texas ever since then. And now I have seven grandkids here, so I can't leave. You're not leaving. <laughs> so, right. yeah, you were playing basketball at McPherson College, which is right uh, before you get down into Wichita. And, That's of right. course, you played against Manhattan Christian That's College, right. which is right there on the Kansas State University campus where my wife was a business professor. Yeah. Let's talk about your journey to Christ. I mean, for me, it was January of 1980 when I was a freshman at the University of Tennessee. What was that moment? What brought you to be a Christian? Yeah, I grew up in a, uh, a church in Wessington Springs, South Dakota, in the High Plains. And there was a tradition there that when you accepted Christ, you would throw a, a little uh, group of twigs into the fireplace, which I did in the basement of a church in uh, 1964. Mm-hmm. I was 10 years old at the time, and that's when I accepted Christ. Awesome. Yeah. And what has been your journey been like? Uh, I mean, especially when you talk about being on a college and university campus. Now, yeah. Dallas Baptist is a strong Christian campus. That's right. But when you think about most of our college and university campuses, they're not really embracing of our Judeo-Christian faith heritage. They're not, and that's what I'd call a real competitive advantage for somebody like Dallas Baptist University, where I teach. So our president, Adam Wright, every mm-hmm. time he stands at a podium, he will say, we stand for God and country, yeah. and he always will. That's, I mean, we call that in management a competitive advantage. Yes. Why would you attend DBU? Because of the things that are going wrong at the other systems that have been sustained at Dallas Baptist University. The other uh, colleges were founded for that purpose. You know, Harvard was named for John Harvard. Absolutely. He was a lay Presbyterian minister, yeah. and the original uh, purpose said that each man, sorry ladies, <laughs> each man would find Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. That was the purpose of Harvard. They had a, what was called a mission drift, then came Yale, then came Princeton, all of them. And so we're all continually asking the question at Dallas Baptist University, how do we sustain this commitment to God and country? We're doing great as of today, and I'm really proud of us, and I think... It's going to be better in the future. Well, it's interesting you bring up that point because many of our early colleges and universities, institutions, it was about that fundamental Christian education that was there. Mm -hmm. But slowly but surely, uh, more of these colleges and universities conformed to the society, and they forgot those foundations. That's right. It's called Mission Drift, and there's actually a book called Mission Drift that we studied at the university some years ago. And we were trying to come up with an answer to how do we avoid the same thing that happened to these other places? And there's many plans that were put in place to sustain our commitment to God and country. One of them was we built a great big white chapel. Next time you're on it's campus, huge. I, I mean, it is been beautiful. There. You've been on our Absolutely. campus. Absolutely. Okay. I've spoken there, and yep. when you're driving through, uh, you know, South Dallas area, and you can see DBU, that shining city upon a hill. Thank you. Uh, that's biblical, folks, yep. and it is the truth. I mean, when you think about the type of students you're getting, when you're on that campus, it's a it's a spiritual thing. Yeah. Yes, people will talk liberal all they want, but when they have a 17-year-old daughter who's ready to go to college, then you start to think, I think maybe I'd like a place where she is safe, where she's treated well, Mm -hmm. where she's taught scripture, where she has to go to chapel three days a week, which we're proud of. So bring it on. And it really has been a competitive advantage for us, just keeping doing what we're doing over all these years. And things are good at Dallas Baptist University. And I think you're preparing our young people because— 
when I look at society and what they're teaching them is that you can find, you know, uh, comfort in, in drugs or you can find it in mm-hmm. alcohol, whatever. I don't think you have that problem with the students there because they're grounded and they're rooted in something and a faith that is stronger than the, the, the prescriptions right. that the society is trying to give them. Well, my career, you asked how I got into this. I actually, as you mentioned, my PhD is in strategic management. Mm-hmm. But my dean needed somebody to teach economics, so I went back and took some classes. I took my last class when I was 60, Colonel. Wow. I tell my students, get done before you're 60, yeah. so that I was qualified to teach economics. Then I got into the idea of Christian economics. If I'd been at another place, that would not have happened. But I was led into Christian economics and discovered this really is the way the world is. Yeah. I mean, there's no economics without the fall. Yeah. So if you believe that in Genesis, humans fell, that's where scarcity comes about. Yeah. Without scarcity, you have no economics. Yeah. So Christianity and economics go perfectly together this understanding about how we see the world. So let's talk about that. I mean, you know, yeah. scarcity, you got to be able to, you know, goods and services, how they are provided, right. the, the exchange thereof. Where do you see us going wrong with our economy here in the United States of America? Have we gotten away from those fundamental principles that you just talked well, about? Well, first, thank you for your service, because freedom is not free. You had to sustain it. Free market capitalism is not free either. It has to be sustained. Look back at the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. There are kings, there are powers. People Mm -hmm. are using their power in the economic sphere. It has to be fought against. You successfully fought against it by serving in the U.S. Army. I successfully, or hope (laughs) hope to, fight against socialism by asking people, what does the Bible say about it? So if there would be a bumper sticker of my work, it would be, How does a first-century book inform a 21st-century economy? And it does inform the economy. Mm -hmm. You just have to look for it. Well, the amazing thing, though, you know, when you're out there, and this kind of justifies the giving of largesse from the government, we got to take care of everyone. Right. Colonel, it's the government, not the government. (laughs) It's an O, not an I. Okay, and here's the other point. So government must take before it can give. The government has no money. Yeah. The government has no money. It must take before it can give. There's no scriptural command to take. There are many scriptural commands to give. So the government must take before it can give. But churches and parachurch organizations can give without taking because Mm -hmm. people contribute to Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And you just have to ask people. And they contribute out of their free will. That's right, free. Doesn't this word free come up a lot? Yeah, we keep coming back to it. You defended freedom. I called it free market capitalism. In Revelation 3.20... Jesus stands at the door, and there's a great picture by William Holman Hunt called The Light of the World. Mm -hmm. And it's Jesus knocking on the door. What you notice right away is there's no handle on Jesus' side of the door. It has to be opened from the inside. And Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open, I'll come in. That gives humans freedom. It it just is hard for me to contain, to understand. God, the greatest being that anybody ever conceived of, gives the colonel and Dave freedom Mm -hmm. to accept or reject his invitation of salvation, then shouldn't we also have as much freedom as possible in our economic lives? Permissive will. Now, and I love that we're talking about this because one of my favorite verses out of the Bible is 2 Corinthians 3.17, that the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there Mm -hmm. is freedom. Let's talk about this thing, the natural rights theory of John Locke. 
and how Thomas Jefferson took that sure. in the inalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and property. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, being an economist, I'm sure you've read Frederick Bassiat's The Law. Sure, yeah. And, and it prescribes that role mm -hmm. for government. How is it with all of these fundamental principles, writings, doctrines, and everything, mm -hmm. we still, and I love this, I'm going to steal it. Hopefully you don't have a patent on it. But we have gone from a government that's supposed to protect your ability to go out and create businesses, mm -hmm. to go to church, and things of this nature. And now we've got a government, like you say, mm -hmm. which goes in and, as Basiat said, this misplaced, misperceived philanthropy and this illegal plunder. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, I'm Kent Charnig, and I'm the founder of El Paso County, Colorado Progressive Veterans. Don't worry, we're not crazy tree huggers, but we do have an amazing podcast talking about nothing but the military and veterans. Please check us out, epccpv.org. Thank you. Talk to you soon. That's right. Yeah, because socialism is based in power. Make, make no mistake about it. So if we had on two ends of a spectrum, if we had free market capitalism on this end, the right end for your viewers, and, mm -hmm. and uh, socialism on the, on the left end for your viewers, right? Uh, socialism is controlled by group force. Yeah. Free market capitalism is individual choice. Yeah. Because Jesus in Revelation stood at the door and said, you have the choice. We believe we should have that choice. Now, why does socialism continue to rear its ugly head? Socialism feels good. Mm. Capitalism thinks good. We've become too much of a feeling society. Absolutely. They don't even know where the money comes from. They don't know that the government has no money. And Nina Turner just this week actually said, don't worry about paying off student debt because it's not the taxpayers. It's the government. She said that in public. Colonel, I mean, the, yeah. when you have that level of, I've quoted in a podcast the other day, the March of Foolish Things, which was said by who I say is our greatest living economist, Thomas Sowell. Mm. Oh, God. The March of it. Foolish Absolutely. Things. He is great. Yeah. Now, but it, that's, that's a level of deception which comes along mm -hmm. with socialism. It, it, it can only advance itself through deception, through intimidation, fear, coercion, and, and ultimately violence, if it has to come to that. Mm -hmm. And so how is it that we, again, here in one of the greatest economies that the world has ever seen and known, mm -hmm. and just, you know, in what, 18, 19 months, we had 1.6% inflation in America. Right. And now, even though it's 8.5%, that's still a 40-year high. How do you go from 1.6% <laughs> inflation to 8.5% inflation, and the high was 9.1%, in just 18 months. It's the lack of freedom, which you and I have been talking about. So if markets were free to do as they wish, if the Fed would get out of its way and stop, you know, they kept interest rates too low for too yeah. long. That's quite clear. I mean, I don't want to teach an economics lesson here, but if you the, should. Well, thank you, Colonel. Yeah. But if the, if, the, if the market was free, we wouldn't have this problem. They artificially kept rates too low for too long. And now everybody agrees on that. At the time, many of us were saying, look, this is going to cause inflation. We've seen this play before. We know how it works. Mm -hmm. Colonel, you can change economic policy. You can't change economic law. 
laws of economics don't change. No, no. There's, I mean, <laughs> come on now. I mean, this whole thing about a recession, it's just, you know, whatever it is. And inflation is a transitory thing. It's yeah. a theoretical term. Okay, if you can define your terms on your own, then you could do that. And what you're yeah. referring to, of course, is the technical definition of inflation is two quarters of decreasing GDP. We just had two Two yeah. quarters of decreasing GDP. The, the recession. Yeah. And so we're Re technically yeah. in a recession by yeah. definition. But we're in this era. Okay. When Abraham decided there was one God, the world changed and it's never gone back. Because what that meant was there was truth. Mm -hmm. Now we have to seek it to find it, but there is truth. Because what he stepped into was the world of many gods. And we still have yeah. that in polytheistic religions yeah. like Hinduism and Buddhism. Yeah. And that's what's creeping into America. So you define recession your way, I define it my way. You say it's transitory, I say it's not. Is there a truth that if you know the truth, mm -hmm. the truth will the make truth you, will free. you free? Oprah Winfrey said on the I stage. I remember, yeah. A, you know what I'm going to say. Know, you got your truth, I got my truth. Thank you, Carl. Everybody got a truth. I mean, we should make a song you know, of, yeah. about this. This is amazing that we get to the point where, look, two plus two equals four. Mm-hmm. You cannot interpret, and now we got people say math is racist. I don't know why math is racist. Okay. I mean, if, if I put down yeah. 2 plus 2 is 5, it's wrong. I don't care what your skin color is. Mm -hmm. But now they are taking this and they're saying that all of this stuff about economics, these principles, these time-tested, tried-and-true principles, they don't make sense. I mean, it can be whatever we say. Right that it is in this moment in time. And that's, you can't have multiple truths. No. A society just can't exist like that. And yeah. that's why our, uh, our nation is being torn apart. My podcast number 72 is called Two Worlds. And I give rather a, a dark prediction is I think it'll get worse because mm -hmm. I see the two worlds based in a Christian and a non-Christian worldview. Yeah. We believe there is truth. If you believe there's no truth, then why would you have a discussion? Why would you let a, a speaker come onto your campus to hear him or her if they have views different from yours? But if you go back to Abraham, who said, there's one God, well, now we can discuss and maybe find the truth. And so that's where our country is. And that's the problem, which leads to the things that you and I have been talking about, this lack of freedom in the political sense, in the geographical sense, in the economic sense. We're losing that freedom because they've changed the definition. But it is so unconscionable to me that on a college or university campus that you cannot have differing perspectives, thoughts, and insights. And a college and university campus, if you've got a college of business, there are things that work and there are things that don't work. That's right. And if you do things that don't work, you're going to have a failed economy. Your business is going to fail. Right. You, you, you've got management principles that work. We call mm -hmm. it leadership in the military. If you don't have those and follow those leadership principles, you're going to be a failure That's right. as a leader, and your unit is going to suffer. Mm -hmm. So how is it that on college and university campuses, and, and you know, we just found out uh, this week that the University of Texas now has surpassed Harvard as the richest, you know, university in the country. Yeah, so they have the freedom to do as they wish, don't they? I mean, that's really dangerous because now you don't have the plurality. You don't have people essentially voting to say, how do we determine things? See, markets are good because everybody gets to vote, right? Mm -hmm. So if the next time you go into your grocery store and it's Hunts instead of Heinz, that's because your neighbors voted that way. See, consumer surplus is produced by stores. 
you and I go into the store and we say, oh, is it Hunt's today or Heinz today? Which is it going to be? We get to vote. We yeah. have the freedom in our economy to determine what products and services come come to us. Yeah. But when you're talking about something like that where someone has a stranglehold on it, in economics I pronounce it monopoly, if you may say it fast, it's mm -hmm. monopoly because it means one. So if those people have one way of seeing things and don't allow others, you're in trouble. You talked about how you believe it gets worse before it gets better or it, maybe it doesn't get better. Yeah. Is there a way out of this? Yeah, good question. Thanks for asking that, Colonel. Does it get worse or better? I think it becomes greater divided, greater division, because I think it's based in a worldview, and it's really hard to change people's worldview. So what I think will happen is we'll divide into two economies. I'm making a prediction here. Predictions are difficult, especially mm -hmm. those about the future, Mark yep. Twain said. Yep. But you've asked for my prediction. And I think it is that Christians will contain themselves. St. Benedict did this when mm -hmm. he started the Benedictine order. He came to Rome and found it was Sodom and Gomorrah. He went off to a cave, started his own Benedictine order. But see, here's what they did. They worshiped together and lived together. Then they went out into the community. Then they came back. And I think the Benedictine way of thinking, which is Catholic, I'm a Baptist, but mm -hmm. I think he had it right. Yeah. I think we go to our community, meaning our church, our neighborhood. Then we can go out into the world because it's going to be more difficult as a Christian to be in the world but not of the world. Because yeah. the world has left us in so many ways. We've talked about universities, but we could talk about entertainment and politics and many other things. And maybe even the military, although I won't criticize the military because no, you should, I respect because, you so no, much. No, no, no. We have problems in the military. And, and that was one of the last great bastions that progressive socialists wanted to overtake. Mm -hmm. And now you look at all this cultural Marxism that mm -hmm. has crept into the military. How can you have an effective fighting force if you're telling one part of the fighting force because of your skin color, you're an oppressor, mm -hmm. and the other part of the fighting force because of your skin color, you're oppressed? Mm -hmm. How are we going to be able to go onto a battlefield? Yeah, uh, the U.S. has the greatest military in history. My yeah. dad served in the Army Air Corps before the Air Force was born. Uh, I had two brothers were career Air Force. I have three nephews in the Air, Air Force yeah. and one in the Navy. We are a military family. Yeah. Why? Because freedom is not free. And free markets are not free. You have to sustain them. You have to fight for them to, to maintain them. It's not natural. Mm -hmm. Again, just look back at the Old and New Testament. There's no free markets there. Yeah. There's a king controlling things. And when they didn't have a king, they asked for one. Remember that? Yeah, oh, Saul, that worked king. out great, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, that didn't work out so great. Yeah. And so what we found is that it is just astounding that you and I have been blessed to live in this country at oh, this yeah. time yeah. with these Judeo-Christian values, because that's what has produced it. I mean, if you look back, you'll find that we are in an amazing time in the world. Uh, Angus Deaton won the 2013 Nobel Prize in Economics. He teach, teaches at Princeton. His book is called um, The Great Escape, not the one where the guy jumped the motorcycle. That was pretty cool. Steve yeah, pretty McQueen. Steve McQueen. Yeah. His is The Great Escape. How did we escape poverty, he says? Because for ages, Old Testament, New Testament, almost everybody's poor. The very first line of Angus Deaton's book is, life is better now than any time in history. He says almost any time in history, but because I'm an optimist, I say any time. And it is. Will it, will it stay that way? Will it be sustained? Well, if the military does its job in keeping our independence and our freedom, and economists do their job in keeping free markets, we will. But that's based in Scripture. Yeah. Those things that we've talked about, that freedom comes about because Jesus said, you're free. You can accept or reject 
the invitation of salvation. Now, the amazing thing is that I'm, I'm sure that there are leftists that are watching this interview, yeah. and they're going to say, those guys are talking about creating a theocracy. They want to rule the country <laughs> by the bottom. We're not talking about that. No, there never was. No. James Madison in Federalist 51 said, uh, if, if men were angels, we'd need no government. 150 years later, Milton Friedman was being, entered by, being interviewed by Phil Donahue. Does that take you back? Yes, Phil Donahue, does. are you and I old enough? Oh, to yeah, Phil we Donahue? do, running up and down the aisle with his microphone. Okay, so Donahue says to Milton Friedman, but what about the greed and what about the, you know, this kind of thing? And, and uh, Friedman said to him, you know, where are you going to get the angels to run your socialist system? Now, isn't it interesting that 150 years apart, James Madison a politician or a founder, yeah. and Milton Friedman and Thomas both referred to angels. And the point is, we're not. We're not angels. So we have to ask the question, how do we distribute goods in a fallen world? It happens that free market capitalism is the best way to do that. Yeah. Hey, John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods, here's his sentence, and I'm still thinking about it, Colonel. Mm -hmm. He said, capitalism is humanity's greatest invention. It is. I'm still thinking about it. No, but I, I, I think it is. And, you know, I go back to Lyndon Johnson, the Great Society programs, yeah. the war on poverty. We ain't, you know, if you want to look at hard data, they, we haven't been successful in the war on poverty because no. we, we no. gave it to the government. That's right. But if we had kept it in the realm of how do we make sure the goods and services are there, how do we make sure that the communities, the churches, whatever, mm -hmm. can take care of people in their neighborhoods and communities, maybe we would have a lot better. Let me quote another of my uh, fellow Christian economist, name is Art Lindsley. He mm -hmm. said, the government should punish evil but not do good. The church should do good but not punish evil. I don't know if it's perfectly accurate, but mm -hmm. generally it is, because that's what you were just saying, yeah. that they'd have these different realms that they're supposed to be in. Abraham Kuyper called them called it sphere sovereignty. Yeah. So the church has its sphere, the government has yeah. its sphere. In our time, you and I agree that the government has overstepped into what the church was supposed to do. Absolutely. The church was ordered to take care of widows and orphans and That's immigrants. It. Why? Because they didn't own land. Legal immigrants. Yes, yes. Illegal. Okay, let's just, you take, why do you, yeah. why the, and so we have to ask today, well, you know, 2,000 years later, what does that mean? It means people who can't care for themselves. Yeah. The same one that LBJ was trying to. But the government doesn't do as good a job as the church. Why? Because the Bible tells us the church is supposed to take care of people. The government is supposed to govern. Yeah. The government has tried to care for people, and it's just not good at it. Abraham Kuyper said that's not their sphere. That's not what they're supposed well, to it, be doing. Well, it, it also goes back to what it says in the preamble of the Constitution, where it talks about those tasks of the government. It's supposed to provide yes. active verb for the mm -hmm. common defense and promote passive verb the general welfare. That's right. Well, I think they got them backwards. Yeah, I would say so too. And now they believe that they're supposed to provide the welfare. Yeah. And you can't do that. That's right. Because what you do is, as Winston Churchill was said about socialism, it's the equal sharing of misery. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, free market capitalism is the equal sharing of opportunity. Right. I think the Good Samaritans may be our best economic story. So I'll jump into the middle of the story because I think your viewers can join us there. Yeah. A man is injured on the road. Mm -hmm. The Samaritan comes by. The Samaritan takes out his own oil, his own wine, his own bandages, puts the man on his own donkey, takes him to the inn and pays with his own denarii and says, on my return trip, if you need more, I'll give you more. If you count the denarii twice, that's six resources that the Samaritan used that he personally owned. 
So I call it the capitalist Good Samaritan. Socialists read the story this way. Seeing the man injured on the road, the Samaritan rushed into town, roused some Roman soldiers, enacted a tax, and forcibly took money from people. (laughs) Thanks for laughing. Went and bought public oil, public wine, public bandages, and public donkeys, took him to a public inn, which we might call a hospital, and said, if you need money, more money on the way back, we'll rouse the soldiers again. And raise more taxes. Right. That's not how Jesus told the story. Jesus told the story about a capitalist, good Samaritan, who used his own goods, not somebody else's goods. And the amazing thing is there was a, a minister who was the head of the NAACP up in North Carolina who tried to say that Jesus was a socialist because he never collected insurance payments for going out and, and healing people. It's just incredible how people can, that story you just told, okay. that someone can take that and, and pervert it in a completely different way yeah. to justify their ideological agenda. Their own truth, right, Colonel? Their, their own, own truth. truth. Yeah, but their that's not truth. the way Jesus told the story. It's not the way he told the story at no. all. I, one of my podcasts is called The Prophet Who Made a Prophet. Now, we believe Jesus was more than a prophet, yeah. but we're pretty sure from about the age of 13 to 30, he must have worked with his dad in some kind of construction business. He was a com- carpenter. Why did we know he had to make a prophet? Because he gave. He mm-hmm. kept the, the Jewish law to give. Think about it. In socialism, the mantra is, from each according to his ability, to, to each according to his needs. need. Yeah. Need. If you only get what you need, how do you give? Yeah. You In don't. socialism, you can't give. No. So Jesus had to make a profit to keep the Old Testament law to give. And think about this. In socialism, you can't give. No. There's only one, peop- one person that can give. Yeah. And that's the giver meant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I'm serious. There's well, only the one person that can give. And, and, yeah. and you've been traveling around the world, and, and I've traveled to many different countries. And... The thing that I see is that when you put that type of dependency out there, mm-hmm. it stagnates people's growth, their yes. individualism, their drive and determination. When I was in Iraq, and let me tell you something, Iraq, doctors, lawyers, everyone you turn mm-hmm. around, I'm an engineer, I'm this and that. But when it said, we came to, okay, uh, let's get this clinic back up and mm-hmm. going. Uh, you have any records of supplies, requisitions? Nope. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you get supplies here? It just would show up on a certain day. Wow. Yeah. Because it was distributed by socialism, by the government, you're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're not good at that. We, in the yeah. Bible, we are commanded to take care of people. The yeah. church is. Yeah. The government is not. So in the near term, where do we go? Oh, we, we keep going on. Uh, places like Dallas Baptist University are a shining city on a hill. City on a hill. You said your podcast is... Your church is, uh, your Tomahawk Awards are, oh. your Guardian uh, Fund is. Well, we keep you. doing things like that, Colonel. We, we yeah. have a duty. We have a duty that during our time, in, we our, do sphere. What, in our sphere, to do what we're commanded. You know, I've been asked, uh, am I a pessimist or an optimist? Okay, I'm the Christian optimist. I'm sorry, I'm the Christian economist. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Colonel. Christian economist. Yeah. The economist in me is pessimist. Uh, we t- we've taken on $10 trillion in additional debt in three years. Uh, that doesn't look good. Taxes are going to go up. As an economist, I can scare my 20-year-olds at Dallas Baptist University to death. But as a Christian, I believe there's a God who guards and guides. Yes. And I've seen him turn not only my messes, 
but our nation's messes to redeem them into something good. Yeah. And if I didn't believe there was a God who guards and guides, the economist in me would be really negative. Yeah. But the Christian in me answers your question saying, God will provide. You and I need to do our duty. Absolutely. And so that reminds me of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, where it talks about the trials and tribulations that are out there. Mm-hmm. It produces perseverance. Yeah. And the perseverance produces proven character. Mm-hmm. And the proven character produces hope, not hope in man, but hope in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so I think that this is an opportunity for America to become a diamond. Yeah. And we've had difficult times before. Yes. We have had difficult times. Does this one look bad? Again, as the economist, yeah. I think it looks terrible. The raw data. As a Christian, I think God will guard and guide, and we'll be just fine. Absolutely. And it won't take away your... I, I've done this to the university at the, my 20-year-olds in a sophomore class, right? Yeah. And I tell them how dark and difficult it's going to be, and I say, but listen, they won't take away your salvation. They won't take away your family. They won't take away your church. Yeah, you may have less money in the future if things continue as they Or they'll they are. try to shut down your church. They will try, yeah. but they probably won't. Yeah. But the point is, you can sustain it, right? You can have a church in your home. You can, yeah. And so that's the point. The Christian is optimist. The economist is pessimist. <laughs> what must Christians do in this moment in time? Oh, as I said, do their duty. Yeah. Do things like your Guardian Fund. Do things like the Tomahawk Award. I, I've had, I had 90 sophomores in my class this morning. I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. I'm trying to convince them that free market capitalism is taught by the Bible, and that's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing the best I can. You're when, doing the when best the you can. Win the battle in our lane. That's right. That God yeah. has given to us. But realize today is good. Today is wonderful. You and I have great health. Yeah. We have good families. I'm sorry you only have one grandchild. I have seven. I'm going to get we close. Were, I don't think I'll get to I was seven. racing a five-year-old in a go-kart around the pasture last Saturday. <laughs> don't tell me life's bad. That's great. It, life is great. Absolutely. Life is good. And don't forget it. Yes, there's some dark things coming in economics. Life is good, and God is with us. We still live in the greatest nation the world has ever known. We do. And you and I have been blessed to live in it Absolutely. because people like you and my dad defended it yeah. in the military. Thank you. Yeah. Where can people follow your great work, and is it possible that maybe some grown-ups, some adults can audit one of your classes and, and come sit Ooh, in that's on a it? good question. We haven't set that up yet, but that's a hey, good— Hey, okay. Mark it. Good idea, Mark it. Colonel. Got it. Okay. We haven't set that up yet, but that's a good idea. I do have a book called Biblical Economic Policy that you can find from the major providers. Biblical Economic Policy by Dave Arnott and Sergei Sadamatov. A Ukrainian helped me write it because until he was 11, he lived in Ukraine mm-hmm. under Soviet socialism. Mm-hmm. It is said that 65% of American college students would vote for a socialist. My quip is, after talking to Sergei, the number falls to about zero. Oh, yeah. Well, they think it's cool and yeah. it's fun. It's I mean, not- they've never had to live under it. I remember in 1985 when I was a, a paratrooper over in Italy and we had to do some training up with the Berlin Brigade and we got the one day to put on our dress green uniform and go through Checkpoint Charlie Oh yeah, to East Berlin. Yeah. And I saw it. Oh, I was goodness. 24 oh, years of age. Yeah. And I said, I don't want to live like yeah. that. Yep. Yep. And we, I understood what freedom was about. That's right. And I was even more so committed to, to stand up on those ramparts. So I think Good that if we could yeah. take our young people and get them out of these little bubbles and say, okay, we're going to drop you off in Afghanistan mm-hmm. under the Taliban. We're going to drop you off in, in, in Russia. Or we're going to drop you off in China. Mm-hmm. And see how much freedom and liberty that you have there. Yeah. yeah or no, North the, Korea is the real 
That's right. Wake up call. Yeah, yeah. They would, now you want socialism? Yeah. Because they think goods will be distributed to them. When they realize their goods are redistributed to others, yes. then they realize that socialism is not for them either. You know, I will tell you the funniest story, <laughs> and then we'll wrap up. Uh, my daughters, uh, they're now 29, 25. It was about uh, five or six years ago, and they mm -hmm. asked me, Dad, what was socialism? Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. I said, go get your iPads, your iPhones, all the, you know, the technical mm -hmm. gear that Dad has bought for you. And they're like, what are you doing? I said, just do that dad saying. Go get all your stuff. And I went and got a box. I said, put it all in the box. And they started thinking, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to give it to who I think should have yeah. it. You know, like the, the Mark's conversation, mm -hmm. you know, from those, the, from those with the ability to those for, for their need. Yeah. And my youngest daughter broke down. She thought, because I had the daddy face. Oh. She thought, daddy's really going to walk out of here with uh -oh. my iPad, my computer. My, and I said, that's socialism. Yeah. I said, someone else makes a decision about what you can and cannot have, and they distribute it as they see fit. Yeah. And I think that's the lesson that we have to start teaching. It is. In an online class one time, a student wrote a pretty convincing little discussion about redistribution. Yeah. So I awarded her the full 10 points, and then I redistributed three of the points to a student who didn't participate, yeah. three more points to another student who didn't participate, and she accused me of theft. Well, 60% tax is pretty low in a socialist environment that she was arguing for. Yep. So what was her point? She doesn't like socialism either. And that's Bastiat's... <laughs> Argument of legal plunder. Yep. yep. Because you were in an authority position right. and you took from her based upon what she was able to produce. That's right. And you made the decision. You became the government. That's right. And when you put it in those terms, and that's what you need to do, parents, grandparents, <laughs> put it in the simple terms that the kids can understand. Yeah. So that they don't think, oh, this socialism thing is awesome. Yeah. Because the goods will be redistributed from you. Not to you. Absolutely. But thanks for your question, Colonel. And so wow. Biblical Economic yeah, Policy, yeah. and I have a podcast. It's the Dave Arnott YouTube okay, channel. Okay. And if you just search online for The Christian Economist, it will come up. Okay, and that's, that's Dr. Dave Arnott, A-R-N-O-T-T. That's fine. People, Dave A-R-N-O-T-T. And he is at Dallas Baptist University. And I can't thank you enough for being here on the Steadfast and Law Podcast. Okay. God bless you and God keep you. God bless you. Yes, Pleasure sir. to visit with you. Thank you. Okay. My pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Dave Arnott, and again, if we're going to make sure that the greatest nation that the world has ever known, we continue to maintain and sustain it and make it even better to pass off to our subsequent generations, we've got to go back to our fundamentals. Y'all know I'm from Georgia, went to University of Tennessee, kind of like college football, SEC football. In SEC football and college football, they're fundamentals. We call it blocking and tackling. Part of the fundamentals of the longest-running constitutional republic that the world has ever known is our Judeo-Christian faith heritage because that's where we get our individual freedom from. And where does the free market enterprise come from? The individual freedom that we get from our creative God. God bless you all. Thank you for being with us here at the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. If you like this segment, please hit the like button, share it with others. And again, Dr. Dave. God bless you and thank you for all you're doing. And go visit Dallas Baptist University if you're in the area. Take care. Have a great night. Before they burn it down.